Thank you for joining us for this episode of Get Uncomfortable. This is the second part of a two-part conversation. If you'd like to listen to the first part, and we would encourage you to do so, please listen to the episode that we released on Sunday, March 12th. And that's where your point around, which is so good, around feeling, it gets back to the drug addiction idea. You know, you have to hit your rock bottom which is going to require some dang emotional responses. Now that emotional response can't be about you. Oh, I feel bad. How dare, you know, because then that that quickly turns into shame, which quickly gets turned into anger, which quickly gets targeted at the person who made you feel right. bad, right? That's the challenge. And so sitting, as you're saying, sitting with where you are when you're realizing that. When I was talking about tears and emotion, I was talking about tears of this person. You know, I've had numerous occasions in my career when I got called aggressive, mm. you know, those kind of words. Right. Yeah. Use. And it's always been white women running to the white guy and the white guy not wanting to deal with anything. Because, like you said, with toxic masculinity, white men are taught, all men, um, bless my mother for mm. not teaching me that as much to process. They're not taught to process emotions. So I'm just going to be emotionally bankrupt. So the only emotions I have is right. happy and pissed off. But there's all these other emotions. So first off, those are two really easy emotions. And so then it becomes, well, what do I do? And I had that in the wake of George Floyd's murder. People reach out. If you could give me a list of books to read. I can give you a list of books to read, but reading White Fragility isn't—it's going to help, but it's all. And people want harder things, but you, like you're saying, the best thing I heard you say, among many great ones, is sit with it, feel it. I had a colleague when a former president got elected. I was living in Tennessee, faculty member, small private liberal arts school, white woman. Great, great, great. So, and super, super woke and aware. Okay. So, for all anybody listening, I'm just going to break something down to you. The term woke has been stolen by the right, too. Woke has been a term that Black people have used for generations. If you are driving in a neighborhood where the police are, where you could be harmed, we would say to each other, bro, stay woke. Basically, keep your head on a swivel right? It's being aware of all people aren't good people. And in particular, like Maya Angelou said, when somebody Mm -hmm. shows you who they are, believe them. And she would follow that with, stay woke, bro. Because that person may look, because see, the Karens we talk about, the Karens aren't Marjorie Taylor Greens because we don't invite them to the barbecue to know anything about us. So they can't do harm to us. The Karens are the people who are voting for Clinton and Obama and all the things. And then they are the ones that weaponize those things. 
the story with my colleague, amazing woman, great professional, wonderful. She was just shocked. This was like the day after the election, right? And she's sobbing. Mm -hmm. We're having coffee and she is just devastated. And she said, Adam, I don't know why you aren't upset. I said, I know who y'all are. Stop it. I have a whole, my whole family is from St. Louis Park, Minnesota, a bunch of uh, German Czechoslovakian folks. But come on, we're black and brown folks. If I knew y'all were going to vote for Trump, come on. There wasn't any of us who thought Trump was going to lose. We all knew he was going to win. I said, you, you still associate with people that vote for this. Family gatherings, barbecues, dinners, people that associate with your kids, all of that. And she said, well, Adam, this isn't just white people. <laughs> yes, it is. Data shows, pulled the data. In the last presidential, the last 18 presidential elections, white women, of course, white men, white women have voted Republican. In their against your own and your daughters and your granddaughters and your goddaughter's best interest, you voted for a party that does not care about your body, does not give you agency to love who you want, does not, and will not give it to your daughter in the last 18 elections. So when this colleague said this to me, I said, you know, you just got to get your people. And that's what I've yeah. heard you say yeah. over and over again. Get your people. Hold, first off, start with you. Hold yourself accountable to doing your work. Just get in recovery. That doesn't mean you aren't going to slip off the wagon. Get back on that joker, right? And be willing. It takes in the work I do for a living, you have to be willing to color outside the lines a little bit. And not af be afraid of getting in trouble or getting having somebody yell at you or look at you or hurt you. Being willing to say, this is too important. This is what happens if the world goes unchecked. We've right. got to do something. And it starts, people want classes and lessons and trainings, and those things are all great. It starts with just bathing in the knowledge and the work and then constantly focusing on you. One of the pieces that I wanted you to talk about is the story about the Saturday Night oh, yeah, Live yeah, yeah. Yeah. episode. White guy hosting Saturday Night Live. Talk about that story and how that's a great example of how with women, we see things through a lens of race and gender. With men, especially white men, we just focus on right, their right. race. Yeah. So- can I, can I back up for a minute and say a couple of things? And then, yeah. So one Please. thing I want to yes, say is I want to be really clear. There is a complex history between white women and white men in how they uphold white supremacy. And white women have been given a very specific role in that, like the, you know, uh, you know, the being the ones who, who falsely accuse black men of sexual assault and rape and all of that. Right. So Emmett Till and many, many other. So um, so I don't want to dismiss any of that. And that is the work of white people, men, women, people of all genders who are white, to learn that history and and to, to uncover it, or it's been uncovered, but to talk about it, right? So I want to be really clear not to not to say that, that that work isn't there. That work is absolutely there. The other piece I wanted to say that is just related to everything we were talking about is... Um, how important it is 
for those of us who really want to try to be in this kind of recovery from racism to realize that a central piece of it is being willing to lose things. And um, we, we as white people have to be prepared for that. And the things we lose are, we lose family members, we lose friends, we lose social standing, we, we lose people's opinions of us, we get labeled as the politically correct person. We, some people stop listening to us. We might lose jobs. We might, right? We are not going to lose our lives. And that's one thing to pay attention to. And I like to point out is that no matter how hard you ever think this is, it pales in comparison to what other people really live with and people of color live with and native people in terms of actual violence, as well as all sorts of other things, but, um, and trauma, but, and historical trauma. But the idea, and this is this is the myth, the, the myth is I'm going to really try to be the good white person, the anti-racist per, white person, and somehow things don't change and they will change. And so that's why you have to do the work in community. You have to find other people and you have to, when it gets hard, also not expect all of your friends of color to be the ones to take care of you, but to 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 be in community with everyone, but also to have other white people who help you do this work. And I and I'll just say, I want to see men do that too. I want to see men do that around misogyny and sexism. I mean, you know, I just like watching the television and it's just like some Mormon father takes out his entire family. I mean, there is so much femicide. There is so much violence against women. We don't even see it. It's like the air we breathe. So a white girl goes missing and yes, or the four white kids in Idaho, right? The four white kids in Idaho. And that should not have happened. That's a horrible thing. But we're going to spend a lot of time, partly because they're four middle-class white kids in Idaho. But meanwhile, as we know, missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, here in Minnesota, our, our governor just started a, 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 a statewide committee to look at um, black women. And violence against Black women, which I think is a great thing. Um, I'm sure the government in Minnesota has been pushed to do that for quite some time. Um, but what? But just just think for a minute how often you see like that kind of domestic violence just be like brushed off. So I want to see more and more men do that same kind of thing. And and what, whether it's fighting homophobia by transphobia, fighting ableism, fighting racism, fighting sexism. When you have privilege and you start to be that kind of ally, whatever you call it, right? I'm just going to go back and be old school and use that word. You're going to lose something that you, some kind of privilege that you have if you're actually doing it right. You're going to gain an awful lot. You're mm, going to gain an, a community of amazing humans who are helping you do the work. But, but we're lying if we're not thinking that mm. we're also losing things. And we have to be prepared for that because... What happens is when we start to lose things is when we stop doing the work. And so those are the pe the white people that you've had experience with, Adam, who don't show up for you. And too often it's white women because yeah. they're the ones who are kind of in the room. The white guys aren't even in the room. The white women get in the room, right? That's and then at least on. they're in the room, but then they don't show up when it gets hard. And they sell you out. Well, and let me just throw out. Well, and I have a, I have a good friend of mine, Teresa. We were locked in some real change management. She was shoulder to shoulder with the BIPOC folks on campus, and it hurt. 
Like what we were walking through was painful. And I remember I was talking to her on the phone one day and she said, I just don't know if I can do it. What you're saying is it just reminds me of this conversation with her. And I said, see, you forget that people didn't ride on buses for over a year. I've stood on the crest of the Edmund Pettus Bridge when there's water on either side and pictured that struggle. See, you want to do it without pain, without loss. There will be pain and there will be loss, but in the end, you're still white. And so I told her, I said, Teresa, imagine there's a candle and the flame, you have your hand over it. And that's, that's, You want change to happen so much you are choosing to put your hand over this flame and like everything you want to move it and you're smelling it and you're feeling it and and you want the flame to go away. You want change to happen. That's what black and brown folks, queer folks, indigenous folks, what we've all had to walk through, that you keep your hand on that flame. Then somebody comes and they move the candle and you have to move your hand back to get the change to happen. So if you, your point is, I I just wanted to yes and amen you, that this is 100% about white folks, straight folks, men, understanding that there will be loss. There will be loss, but it it won't be loss of a nation. It won't be January 6th. It won't be those things for our children if we choose to go through what, nobody's going to Emmett till me. Right. So at the end, well, maybe at the end of the day, I'm trying to be mindful of those things. Talk a little bit about the Saturday Night Live monologue. Yeah, I will do that. So I think his last name is Burr, right? Is it Bill Burr? He's a white comedian and he and I watched him. He was I didn't know him, but he was on Saturday Night Live and he had a really, really caustic um, set, you know, uh, his opening monologue about white women. And, um, and one of the things that, um, that really struck me was um, that it might have been one thing for me to hear that monologue coming from like a woman of color, but to hear a white guy kind of trashing this white woman for and what he was saying was he was kind of all the stereotypes about the Karens who like try to do the good thing, but don't really show up. And you know, and it was it was very funny. I happen to know he's also married. I, I checked him out and he's married to a woman of color. Right. And I thought, OK, so this is interesting because these are identities, neither one he nor his wife share of being a white woman. But what's interesting is somehow he gets a pass. That's the part. I don't have a problem. I mean, if if a, if a woman of color is like, you know, I, I sometimes train with this poem uh, that I read, gosh, in the 80s when I was taking a class on African-American women writers. And it was, I can't remember who the author was, but it was a poem about how white women smelled bad. And the first, and I sometimes train with this and I'll say, look, the first thing I thought was like, what the hell? I don't smell bad. I mean, what is that? White women don't smell bad. And then I had to stop and go, oh, why does a black woman want to write a poem like that? Like, that's the question. Not do white women smell bad, because that's what we do. We stop with the like facts. Well, did I actually say it that way? No, 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 no. Just slow down and go backward and say, why would someone want to write that poem? What's the pain? What's the hurt? What's the anger? What's the rage that is in that poem about me smelling bad? That's what I need to hear and to sit with that and and to just take away the, the silliness of whatever it was about, right? So that... 
I can sit with and need to sit with. But to watch a white man do it as if somehow white men get a pass from racism, that, that was very challenging for me. And, and far too easy, far too easy. And that's where I saw the misogyny, right? Because people of color don't trust white people for a good, really good reason. There's, there, there are really good reasons I don't trust white men. And sometimes all men, but there's some good reasons that I don't trust white men who have a tremendous amount of power and who often don't see their misogyny and how it plays out. So this idea of like, isn't it interesting? That's just part of what I feel right now. It's like, isn't it interesting that the worst racism is coming from white women? I don't buy it. I don't buy it. And I want to hear white men saying, hey, look over here. If there's a Karen, there's a Chet. If there's a Karen, there's a Harvey. Um, And in fact, Harvey created Karen and Karen allowed herself to be created by Harvey, if that makes any sense. That's the conversation white people need to be having is how did we use sexism and misogyny and gender relationships to uphold white supremacy? And what price have we paid for that? Um, and what price are we willing to pay to stop it in terms of misogyny? And, and, and you know, those, those are tough questions. But the other thing is we got to get enough white men in the room to have that question. Right. So again, the interesting, you know, it's like that thing of like, it's like anything, fish in a, what is it, you know, yep. like crabs in a yep. barrel or whatever, right? So like, I'm going to be really pissed at the white women who showed up to do this DEI work with me, Right. So, some of whom stay, but a lot of whom will maybe sell me out if I'm a person of color, right? But because I'm not even thinking about the white guys that didn't even come in the room. Well, because the standard is so doggone low, right? Right. I mean, that's honestly, cisgendered white men, we talk about it all the time. As far as pain tolerance, as far as snowflakey, you got to grow beards and drink IPAs to think you're manly, right? And and carry big guns and where I live, drive trucks and make the trucks make even more noise than they were factory made to make. I mean, it is almost laughable, the level of fragility, right? With, with some of these situations. So I think reframing people of color to think about, expect more. It's almost like we, it isn't, I think there was a space of, well, because white men have power, we have to navigate them like they're the lions. I don't see that anymore. I don't think we even expect anything of them. And like you were talking about, it reminded me of codependence, where white men and white women, right, white people need to get together and unpack and do their work, just like men need to get together and unpack and do our work. It is, I think one of the things that, you know, that you're bringing forward that's so very important is how this work doesn't stop. So again, like you said, there is risk involved and the work doesn't stop that. But what else is your choice? We, the same things, the same playbook that was used on our great grandparents in 1958 is being used right now. The same playbook, the, the University of Florida, the governor just appointed a dude that doesn't want 
anything to do with LGBTQ rights, women's rights, teaching true U.S. history at the University of Florida. Right. It is like we're in 1958. And the only reason, the only reason that playbook is being used is because it works. And so it's up to yeah. us to stop it from sticking. And that yeah. requires risk. It requires the, the understanding of longevity and the reality that we have to be vigilant. That, yeah. That's what stay woke means, that we all mm -hmm. have to be vigilant. I like some wokeness because that means vigilance and awareness of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And to know it's it's constant. There, It's not if there's pushback. That there, It's when and how. And, and I want to say one thing that I'm thinking about as we're talking about kind of like masculinity. Um, just take a minute to think about what it looked like on January 6th. That was a lot of really angry, primarily white men. Yes, there were some women there, but nowhere near as many women as white men. When Anne, and a nickel's part of a dollar too, but it ain't much. So just like people said, right. well, there were some right. black people that stop it. Stop it. Okay, there's there's no. always some idiot diamond or silk right. who's going to show up to, right. you know, do all the things. That was white masculinity on display. And we need to see a counter image of white masculinity to counter that. Because, I mean, I think many white men are at a huge kind of identity, emotional crossroads. They have always, they have, the, the, the entire country was made for them. And it isn't that way anymore. It is, we know that it, it is, but not in the same way it was. They are, they, they you know, I hear it. I, I, I have white men, I'll say when I'm training, do you hear that things are hard for white men? And the honest ones will say to me, yeah, I have white men who tell me that. I had a white guy say, I'm not worried about my daughters. I'm worried about my my sons getting jobs. I said, well, just so you know, since, you know, a third of all women face, you know, sexual assault and, and you know, born 10 women face sexual harassment at work, I'd be worried about your daughters, actually, in terms of just statistically speaking. But this idea that white men are under attack, right? That's, I mean, and... And in some ways, they do feel that way. I mean, you know the saying, right? When when uh, when you have privilege, equality feels like oppression. So they feel oppressed, right? So they feel now I can't I can't do anything. But now all of a sudden, I mean, I used to I watched my father, right? He got a job, he got a college degree, and he got a job, and he moved up the ladder, and we bought a nice big house. And now all of a sudden, everybody wants to hire women of color. Right. And so the big myth is that somehow women of color are running the country. And I always say, yeah, I wish that was true. I'm like, sign me up. I'll, I'll take be that. Good. That's yeah, yeah, I'll take that social. I'm fine with that. But it's bullshit. It's not happening at all. Right. But 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 we're talking about it in a different way. And we are expecting things of white men. We have never expected of white men in literally 400 years of this country. So you are talking about groups of people who feel under attacked, who feel who, I mean, I think it's an identity crisis. I really do. The people who are going to help with that, <laughs> of course, who always helps white men, everyone but white men, right? But let's have some white men step up and start, and there are some out there, but we need more and more to start to say, 
we have a crisis of identity and we need to be in the rooms. We need to be the ones taking the risk. We need to walk in there and say, I have all this privilege. I'm here to learn. I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to stay in it. Mm. I'm going to stay in it, which is the single most important thing white people can do is stay in it no matter how hard it gets for us because it'll never get as hard. But, you know, but and, you know, nothing you haven't already said. But I do think we're I think January 6th was this huge visual image of how of how dangerous white male rage is something that people of color have always known but that many white people saw maybe for one of the first times right people of color have always known that what that white rage will do oh um, and do you right? do you remember um <laughs> when when the jury when the the um, defense attorneys in Georgia who were defending the murderers of Ahmaud Aubrey, um, and they used a something something that no one yeah. that's black that you want to know critical race theory. Here's an example. They used an example of they said that Ahmaud Aubrey ran towards the pickup truck. And he was rabid, basically painted him, dehumanized him as a yeah. black man, right? Now, there isn't a black man, first off, black man, I speak for black men, on the planet that would run towards a pickup truck, period, period, not one. And then you add, it was a pickup truck with three white guys in it in Georgia mm -hmm. with a Confederate flag vanity plate. There isn't, we don't walk through Target parking lot with a car driving slowly behind us. We black folks will immediately slide over and say, go ahead on. We are not running at cars, but this dehumanizing language that was used there was just so different. I think the piece that you're saying that is so true, because no matter what they say on TV, now I, I'm old enough to remember when a Cheerios commercial with a mixed race child and her parents mm. who are white and black yeah, yeah. caused a stir, but it also caused yeah. some nice liberal progressive white people to feel really good that they didn't feel really bad. Right. And so now you can't turn on the TV without seeing yeah. the mixed race child and the black and white parents, right? And marketers know our heart. They're just trying to sell stuff, whether it is Cheerios or it's incontinence products. You can't get away from the black guy or the white guy and their black woman or their, their other race person. What the data in our country shows that 87% of black men are married to black women and 92% of black women are married to black men. So when you are laying out the way to resolve this, it isn't like as a community, people still aren't tribed up. That's how it is. What white women need to do is stop being agents of their white men, whether that's their husband, their father, their uncle, their brother, their boss, and start creating the kind of community village change that Black women have created. When someone said, when in Georgia, when they were trying to suppress the vote, that it was going to stop Black people from voting, I said, you ain't met no Black women. Stop it. 
we we going to vote. It doesn't matter if you are a gang member, if you are convicted, you have somebody's auntie, mother, sister, brother, who's going to get your hind parts to the polls. You aren't going to, we, I know black women. When you tell, okay, this whole nation is here because of black women. So the reality is you try to suppress the difference is black women dictate in the community, white women need to continue to take on that mantle of first off working through their own stuff and then holding themselves and the men that they love in their lives accountable, not just for racism, but for misogyny. Yeah. And, and, and not sell out women of color, which is, you know, what white women have done and white women. And that's, and that's, so when we go into spaces, meaning me as a white woman go into spaces, with women of color and they're, they're distrustful or pissed or whatever. I gotta, I, I have to stay in there and not like they're rude or anything like that. But I mean, like, you know, that, that might keep me from like, oh my gosh, you know, nobody wants to be in partnership with me because white women have such a bad history with second wave feminism or every wave of feminism for that matter and all our racism. Right. And it's like, yep. And show up Yes, and show up yes. and show up on the issues that matter most to black women, to indigenous women, to Asian American women, to Latinx women, show up for those things, not just wanting to bring them into our organizations, mm. all that, all that stuff that people have been talking about forever that you can pay attention to. And then sit in it when it gets uncomfortable and hold on to yourself and realize if I, if I, if I spiral into shame, doesn't do anybody any good. And and start to notice that actually, and this is, I, I will just share a little bit about one little thing for me, once I started to get a kind of racial awareness, when I, when it really dawned on me how effed up our, our racial hist past is, and it really, you, you start to, to really learn it because if you haven't lived it in the same way, you have to kind of learn it. You get overwhelmed with how horrible it is. And you think, why would any person of color ever want to work with me? That was honestly what I did. And then I had to get over myself. And I literally had to talk myself out of that little pit. And I said, okay, I may meet people of color who never want to work with me. And that is okay. I know why that is. I sometimes say that's the edge of racism. That's how white people feel the edge of racism. When there are people who are like, I don't want to be in partnership with you because I don't trust you. There's good reason for that. I'll just work with the people who are willing to work with me. And of course, what I found, I say, of course, because you can imagine that what I found is the vast majority of people of color and native people I've, I've, I've been in relationship with have been very open to being in relationship with me. But I had this image that like, people are going to hate me. And I, I, I do think that's, I think we play mind games once we start to, I mean, when you really take it in 1619 and, and, you know, everything and you're watching this and you're reading this and you're all of a sudden you're like, Holy fuck, excuse my French. This is horrible. This is huge. No one taught me this. I mean, it's in me when you start to realize it's like in your DNA, it's horrible. Why shouldn't it be? It ha we have to feel that, but we have to get over it to be able to be in relationship and kind of hold that piece of it, but not let it mess us up. Well, and <laughs> if that makes it, any it sense. It does. And the last thing I'll ask you is oftentimes wh white women live in this space of fighting for women's issues and will say, yeah. we women, 
You're not thinking about women. Where are the women? And you can tell that they're not thinking of women outside of white women. Yeah. How, how, what's the advice that you can use as you are talking, especially in your practice, in your work, in your training, in your PhD work, that can continue to get white women as they are thinking and climbing the ladder and being beneficiaries of affirmative action and being in spaces to also think about as they are talking women that they are not generalizing or just seeing it through a white lens, but are seeing it through an inclusive lens of all women and being the kind of not just space takers, but space makers for their sisters of color. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's such a good point. A good question. I come back to the point I kind of started with, which is you better talk about racism. You better talk about race and racism a lot. I mean, that would be if someone were to say, what would you say to a white woman who's on her journey to be the right kind of white woman, which is what I'm hoping to be, you know, history will judge me. People of color, native folks will judge me. I will say one of the things I've learned to do is to just, is to talk about it. I sometimes mess it up um, or mess up other things and then be open. I just recently had a woman of color who pointed out that I kind of did an end run around her in a training thing we were doing. I mean, it doesn't even matter what it was, but she felt like she could come to me. And the first thing I said was, you're right. I undermined you and I shouldn't have, and I'm sorry. And it didn't throw me off my game. I felt bad. I should feel bad. I, it was a mistake, but it didn't make me send me into some shame sprawl. I'm like, okay, Hey. And I thanked her. I said, thank you for uh, taking that risk because it really, it really helps me grow. That is all we can do. Mm. And so, so, but, but I have to keep talking about it when that happens. And so that's the thing is when we start to, when white women, and they will, white women, because the other thing, the way racism works is when people need to do more diversity, white women are going to be easier than women of color and men of color. I believe that, 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 that we will do everything but race. We're very good at that. So, so, so those of us who are doing queer work, those of us who are doing disability justice work, we got to be careful that we don't get co-opted to keep us away from the race work because white people will do that. We are very, very good at finding ways not to do race, not to talk about race and not to work against white privilege and white supremacy. So you got to be the white person who's going to talk about it. And you might have people of color who call you out and you're going to have to deal with that. And you might have white people who are like, why are you talking about this again? Why do you have why, why you have this agenda? You might feel like you are starting to get cut out of things, right? That's the piece about losing. But if you want to do the work, and this is if you want people of color to, and Native people to trust you, you better talk about it. And, you know, as as not just say stupid things about it, but I mean, you you know, you better like, and use yourself as an example. That's the other thing. Be a role model. We desperately need role models of white people who are trying. We need role models of men who are trying. We need role models of straight folks who are trying. We need those, we need, we just need role models to say, you can, you can be in this and do this and you're not gonna do it perfect, but you stay in it. So that that's what I would say to anybody is like, um, be the white person who talks about race. And I so much appreciate it. I, I can say in being in community with you, 
the reason why those folks had faith and trusted you is because of the level of vulnerability that you bring. Nobody is expecting perfection. Everybody is expe expecting some level of reflection. And so it says about a lot about you as a practitioner, as a person, as a human, that someone of color would be so willing to say, hey, Anne, let me tell you, th this wasn't a good look for you. Thank you so much for joining us today, oh, for yes. sharing everything. It's truly an honor to be in community with you. Oh, I agree. Uh, I feel exactly the same way about you, Adam. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anne. We hope that this two-part conversation gave you a lot to think about and some actionable steps towards your anti-racist journey. Now, as always, Get Uncomfortable is created in partnership between Adam Smith and Rachel Hansen. If you'd like to reach out to us, our email address will be in the show notes. Other ways that you can support the show include reading a review on Apple Podcasts, just reaching out to us to let us know what you think about the show, as well as subscribing to the show and sharing episodes with friends. Until next time, stay uncomfortable.